T-minus 10. Welcome to Laser Focused. Together, we make the impossible possible. Now here's your host, Renette Youssef. Welcome to Laser Focused, a podcast that takes you on a journey of discovery with the leaders that are changing the world with new design and revolutionizing how we think of advanced manufacturing. I'm your host, Renette Youssef, CMO and brand disruptor at Vela3D. On the show today, we have the co-founder and chief technology officer of Zulu Pods, Daniela Sladen. Daniela holds degrees in aerospace engineering and business from the University of Central Florida and the University of Connecticut School of Business and has worked for aerospace giant Pratt & Whitney and Parametric Solutions. In addition to being a brilliant engineer, Daniela is also a trailblazer who is breaking down walls and shattering glass ceilings as one of the few Latina women in the aerospace engineering field. Please welcome Daniela Sladen. So Daniela, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Of course. I've been really looking forward to this conversation, actually. (laughs) Me too. Good. Okay, I'm going to jump right in. So doing some research, I obviously noticed that you are very into your career. You're very driven. And so I was a little surprised to learn that you entered college as an undecided major. So how did you end up in a career in the aerospace industry? Yeah, so that's right. So originally (laughs) I was undecided. I didn't really know what an engineer was or an engineer did. I just knew that I wanted to go to college and I wanted to, I didn't know what major I wanted to do. I knew that I didn't want to be in school forever. So like doctor, lawyer, I was like, I need to hit the ground running and make some money. So I knew that it was something, it would be something technical, something with math. So I was literally in my dorm room. I have like the thick course catalog going through (sighs) the courses and seeing like, okay, what has math, not too much writing. I didn't want to do like any writing. I wanted to do more math related things. And I was like, okay, we're on the space coast of Florida, you know, Kennedy Space Center is there. So engineering was naturally one of my choices. And then it was down selecting aerospace engineering. And I was like, this is cool, you know, but it's tricky. But if it's ever too tricky, I'll just switch the major or figure it out. And and luckily it went well. I mean, it wasn't so easy. For example, physics, I had never taken physics in high school. So when I got to physics in college, I was like used to math. And I'm like, what are these forces and gravity? I didn't really understand it. So I got a bad grade in my first quiz. And I was like, well, I need tutoring. So I went to tutoring and I finally had an aha moment. I understood it. And I was like, oh, I like that. I bet I could help other people have this aha moment. Oh, wow. And then I became a physics tutor. So that that really helped me solidify my physics foundation. And yeah, and then that that really helped me. Amazing. So you did everything opposite to me. I was like, what can I do that's less science, less physics, more writing? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I was going to ask you about growing up in Orlando near the Space Coast. So it did actually have an influence on your decision, which is crazy. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Or UCF, UCF, and they have um, a close relationship with like Kennedy Space Center and the Space Coast. So that was one of the reasons. So while still an undergraduate, you interned at both Boeing and Pratt & Whitney. What was it like for you as a young Latina woman breaking into the industry? So my experience is probably the same as any woman in aerospace. 
being a woman in the industry is the minority. And I felt like being a Latina was a double minority. You see less and less people like that you can relate to as you climb up into the field. So it does feel a little lonely because who can you talk to and reach out to when nobody really can relate to you? Mm. And that's where Zulu Pods comes in. I, my hope would be that we could create a company where women are invited and it doesn't feel lonely. For example, if my daughter wanted to become an engineer, she wouldn't feel alone as I did. Because when these companies were made, they were made at a time where only men worked. So like everything around that makes sense for men to work. Even the nine to five, right? Mm. Elementary school is out at like two or three. So how are you going to pick up the kids and... Like, it doesn't really work for, like, two parents working a nine-to-five. Has all these learnings influenced the culture you're building at Zulu Pods? Definitely. And thinking about bringing more women and women of color into the field and obviously looking at my daughter, that really drives a lot of my management decisions. Yeah, okay. So what about, you know, we know now that women are making up more and more of the workforce. And as one of the few Latinas in aerospace engineering, I would love to hear your thoughts on how you push back against the way in which traditional corporate culture can alienate certain people. Like you mentioned, you know, having to work nine to five, which doesn't really ease, you know, having a family doesn't help. Is there any other ways that we can sort of make, you know, work better for women? Yeah, I mean, I can remember when I really saw that shift in like work-life balance and feeling like alienated that I had a life outside of work was when I became a mother Mm -hmm. and something as natural as pumping at work. You feel isolated and alienated. Or I had a review at work and I was asked or I was told, you know, you had a tough year. This is the year you became a wife and a mother. And you can imagine my husband, Rob, would never be asked that in such a review. So that was insane to me. So I'm hoping that you know, the pandemic kind of normalized work-life balance and people noticed that people are people first. We're not robots. You know, I have a whole battle with my kids in the morning of that I put the cereal in the right bowl, in the blue bowl, the pink <laughs> bowl, whatever, or somebody that's taking care of an older aging parent. Like, you just don't know what people are going through. So mm. I think humanizing people in the workplace, I hope that gets better. I actually do agree with you. I think that COVID has helped do that, especially like if you're on Zoom all day at home, you sort of see what's happening in the background, like kids and animals. And, you know, oh, so yeah. I, do, I do hope the same that, you know, COVID has humanized, like we are all people struggling with things every day. So that is a good thing that maybe came out of the pandemic. <laughs> okay. So back on topic, I heard that you came up with the idea for your product on a road trip. Is that true? And what can you tell us about your Eureka moment? <laughs> yeah. So that happened in 2020, mid-pandemic. Rob and I were driving from Fort Lauderdale, where my parents live. We were living with my parents when we first moved. And we were driving to my sister's house in Orlando. That's about a three, three and a half hour drive. So that's a good uh, road trip stretch. The kids were three and four at the time. So they were sleeping in the back, Mm -hmm. which is rare. Finally sleeping, moment of silence. So we were able to just like talk. You know, as both of us being engineers, we met at work. So it's normal for us to talk about physics, work, 
engines. It's not out of the ordinary for us to be talking about things like that. And I was, you know, venting as a designer on these lubrication systems about different things we had to think about and, you know, the, the complexity that comes with these designs. And at that point, Rob had been working on smaller jet engines, single use jet engines, and they could last for 15 to 30 minutes. And I was thinking, wait, why are they making these systems the same for a 15 minute mission and a 15,000 minute mission? That's to me, that was like, uh, what if your car was only designed to run for one mile? It would be designed differently. It would, it would look differently. So why is this any different? And that was kind of the, the aha moment where we thought, okay, what if this was, you know, some kind of Tide Pod, pod-like device with oil inside and, and that's how it kind of came about. Wow. Okay. So the pod is like the Tide Pod. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. the product called Z-Pod is the yep. world's first self-contained sealed oil tank and pump, correct? Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what it separates it from t- other types of lubrication systems currently in use? Yeah. So big picture, I feel like Z-Pods is just an entirely new way of thinking and a new way of design for this new era of technology, aerospace, even space. There's a lot of push to make more hardware for newer missions and newer vehicles that are being built. And Mm -hmm. this is just opening more areas for design and geometries. And the Z-Pod is an all-in-one package. So what makes it different is it's decentralized. So it doesn't rely on a network of tubes attached to a pump or a tank that are external to the engine. So you're not fighting gravity to get this oil inside. It starts inside and then physics gets the oil to where it needs to get to. Amazing. So you designed it with expandable engines in mind, correct? Allowing for a simpler jet engine. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what kind of devices and technology typically use expandable engines and why is this important? So it was designed with expendable engines in mind as a replacement for the lubrication system, right? Because I said we were used to like these big jet engines, but what about these expendable jet engines that only last um, 15, 30 minutes? And that could be something that is on a cruise missile or a drone, decoy drones, surveillance drones. But now we're actually, as we're speaking and we have in more market feedback, we're learning that there's other applications like an emergency reserve system for helicopters, possibly wind turbines, you know, they're in the middle of the ocean. So to go and to reach that in a loss of lubrication event may take a while. And if we have a Z-Pod that can save this asset, it could save equipment and ultimately in a helicopter, it can save lives. Amazing. So what other life-saving applications can this technology be used for? So I think that we're we're kind of at the forefront and the beginning of what the market is telling us. And mm-hmm. I don't even think we've uncovered what other applications we could be in. So this is kind of just a start. Exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I imagine that this is a lot of creativity went into designing this, right? Like it's very different than other lubrication mm-hmm. systems in the market. Was that like hard to get buy-in from engineers when you were designing this or actually even presenting it to people in the field? 
Well, thankfully, you know, we've worked at these great companies and, you know, a lot of our founding team comes from that same background. So we're trained in that high quality of work. And, you know, we knew in the beginning, Mm -hmm. we need some sort of sanity check. We need to make sure like, are we crazy doing this? So we reached out to some of our, you know, old advisors, old chief engineers, PhDs in the space. And they were like, no, this is, this has legs. You know, if you were to just, you know, they gave us advice, just, you know, do this test or run this kind of test, you know, it'd really be great in validating this. So we went ahead and we did those tests. We came back and that iterated on one thing led to another. And, and now we're here. (laughs) It's been great to have that (laughs) guidance from these people that we trust, that we know have sound engineering judgment. So we're not crazy. (laughs) Yeah. So how was the transition from like Pratt and Bit Whitney to starting a startup? Was there a huge transition or was it being able to take the good things from a big organization? And, you know, how was that transition? I'm just really curious because I've only ever worked in small startups or, you know, late stage oh. startups, but never, never made that transition. <laughs> I think that you naturally have more freedom to think outside the box and as a startup, we have more freedom on who we're going to hire too. And we value obviously people's resumes, technical resumes, but we also value who they are as a person. Are they easy to communicate with? Would they understand uh, if somebody needed flexibility? Are they, you know, my, my son just had a review and they were like oh he's doing good in math and this and that but I was like (laughs) I asked the teacher but how is he as a person like is he good to his friends does he share like I care about those qualities as well not just their technical expertise yeah so Uh that's been really cool because we just have such a great team everyone gets along it's just it feels like we're just friends having fun and and doing something that we love trying to advance this technology to the next level yeah, and that's the good things about a startup, for sure. You know, friends yeah. having fun doing new breaking things. It is. On this podcast, we are all about the ways in which advanced additive manufacturing can revolutionize technology. What can you tell us about the ZDPOT's implications for manufacturing speed via 3D printing? So I think that the advances for 3D printing fall into three buckets for me. It would be mm-hmm. creating the impossible, so creating these geometries that were never thought of before. My background as a designer, I remember trying to design something that looked nice, that worked well, but the manufacturer can't make it because they don't have that Mm -hmm. tool, that standard tool. So now you have much more possibilities, creativity, and room for innovation. Mm -hmm. Another thing is when I remember being in a review and someone brought out actual hardware. So when you're at these bigger engineering firms, you're so used to this 3D simulation and you're on in front of your computer and you know you're you're seeing these 3D models but you never get to see the part that you're working on. So that uh-huh. speed of seeing what you're working on to that hands-on engineering, there's something that adds to like the engineer when you have that hands-on experience, I think. It's so helpful. You you get more aha moments seeing it in person in the physical form. So I think that's really important as well as unitizing parts. So Uh my husband, Rob, recently led a team where they unitized 70 jet engine parts into one through additive manufacturing. And I think that naturally leads into the supply chain, less 
scrambling around the supply chain, you know, getting parts and procuring parts because now you can consolidate parts into one. So that's game changing too. Yeah, absolutely. So do you design now for additive manufacturing or you design the part that you want and know that additive kit manufacturing can actually print it for you? We wouldn't not traditionally manufacture parts, but because um, our scales are so small and there may be smaller channels that Uh we need to fit in there, additive manufacturing works for us. And we don't have to worry about, you know, the certain tools that a vendor may have because we can 3D print these parts. Um, I know you have a twin sister and yes. who's also an entrepreneur. So what impact has she had on your youth and throughout your career? Oh, that's a great question. So having a twin sister, I feel like I always had a built-in best friend, of course. Mm, nice. And <laughs> when we went to college, we actually went to separate colleges, but we were both undecided when we first went. So we both kind of went through the journey of, you know, we call each other like, what are you going to pick? What are you going to pick? And she oh, wow. <laughs> engineering as well, but she, she's a software engineer. So she oh, does, wow. Yeah. So she does a, a programming development and she started her uh, startup with, it was a software company and she and her husband, so funny, he's also a software engineer. They both started a company. Now that I'm thinking about Together? it, speaking, it's crazy. <laughs> so they yes. drove from Florida to Silicon Valley to try to raise funds. Uh-huh. You know, they would be in coffee shops and they would know, you know, where the coffee shops, where the investors go in and they would go and like chase them down. And the creamery? Them <laughs> huh? The creamery, which doesn't exist anymore, but that's the oh. I like the spot. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> they went to, um, you know, various pitch competitions, but they believed in it so much that they were willing to do that. And I feel like I learned that from her because it's easy to feel, you know, like as a woman, like imposter syndrome, and you feel like, should I really be doing this? Is it, do I really belong? Yeah. But when you believe in something so much, like you're willing to, you know, put that aside, it's it's still there, but you put it aside enough that you can get through with the pitch or get through with whatever you need to get through because you believe in it so much. Yeah. And I also think like entrepreneurs, uh, their passion, that's what VCs buy into, like the people and the passion behind the product. It's not always the product. If they say that you're really hungry for it, they really buy into mm. that. That's my opinion anyway. <laughs> that's correct. Mm-hmm. Right? So you've mentioned your, your husband a few times, but we actually haven't touched on the fact that he's also a co-founder. Yes. <laughs> yes. So what's that like, you know, raising a family, working with your husband and also, you know, building a business? Yeah. So it's so funny. I kind of get that question a lot, but him and I met at work. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of like the only thing we know. We know how to work together or we know how to work next to each other. (laughs) So it was kind of a natural thing. You know, we complement each other very well in the fact that, you know, we're detail oriented. We talk things out. We think about all the different possibilities. He's so strategic. He's so good at strategy. And I think that it's it's been so instrumental in in this company amazing so we've also talked about your daughter you also have a son um but yeah. what are like you know we started the conversation off about being a woman in technology what hopes do you have for her as she you know grows up and becomes a really good person and then goes into the field like what are some of the things that you wish are different for her well i hope that you know if she goes to school and decides to go into a technical field 
that, I mean, she'll at least have me to talk to. <laughs> yeah. And I would hope that she has more of a network of women in technology that she can talk to, or she can see other women in that field. And, and I would say that to, I mean, women now, even going into the field, like you may feel isolated, but just know that there's other people behind you that will see you and not feel as isolated. And I hope, I mean, she's four. So I hope by the time she goes to school that it will be normal and she won't feel like she won't get as much as an imposter syndrome because she won't be the only one there. Yeah. And she has you to learn from, right? And and, and look up to. So that's awesome. Yeah. I'm like, at least she has me. <laughs> what about your son? Do you think he's going to get into engineering? Oh my gosh. That's so funny because yes, literally he says, he yeah. tells people at school that he's an engineer for Zulu Pods. Oh, how funny. <laughs> How funny. <laughs> and like, he loves Legos. He's uh, five, but he'll, he'll build Legos of like seven-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old Legos. And like I said that there's something with that hands-on engineering. Mm-hmm. And there really is when I see him with that hands-on Legos and he knows the parts, he inspects them, he reads the instructions on how to do it. And like his teachers told me, you know, he really wants to be an engineer. And I'm like, really? It's so like <laughs> weird. And they say, yeah, you know, all his friends, we ask them, what do you want to be? You know, kids change their mind. They say they want to be a police officer one day, a fireman the other day. But he never changes his answer. He always says he wants to be an engineer. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Maybe he is best to be an engineer. (laughs) Two parents, right, of engineers. It's probably going to (laughs) happen. But it's it's so funny. Like, I've, I've known a lot of engineers who love Legos. You know, it's, like I you said, it's them. a hands-on thing, I think. Yeah, okay. I love doing that uh, with him too now. <laughs> yeah, we were actually thinking about sending some of our customers Lego sets because that's how much we think they love them. So you yes. validated. <laughs> yes, you're first on the list. <laughs> what about some of the most important lessons you've learned in your career up until this point? I would say stay true to who you are. Like I remember being in college and I tried to be I always try to be like one of the boys or I remember being a young professional and I would always try to be like perfect, perfect and straight and broad shoulders and, you know, sit up straight. And I'd be like second guessing. How do I write an email? Like they're like, oh, you should reach out to this person in this department. And the campus is so huge. I'm like, but I've never met them before. Like, are they younger? Are they older? What are they like? I don't know how to talk to them. Like, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to. I would always second guess everything down to like emails, my communication. Like I just didn't want people to, because usually I use like exclamation points or I'm happy. And (laughs) I didn't want people to confuse that for like non-professionalism for me being myself. But then I'm like, no, but that's just who I am. So I just have to be who I am and not be fake or something I'm not because then it'll show. Yeah, I think that's really important actually. And you said it before, be your authentic self at work. Mm Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, I feel like I could still give that same advice to me. It's still <laughs> yourself. Just like the imposter syndrome is so real. You really feel like you're not good enough or mm. can you really make it here? Can you really do this? But having a great support system and a great team is so important because on those rough days, like something will happen or somebody will have a small win in the group. And they'll like put it in Slack or they'll put it in an email. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like such great news. I needed that. So like they celebrate those small wins. And when you're having a bad day, you kind of like jump on that joy train. And and that's been so valuable for that energy in the company, especially like as a startup. 
mm-hmm. celebrating those small wins. Is there anything you would have done differently in your career up until this point? No, maybe I would have tried to not be so scared to do things. And like I said, I could probably give myself that same advice now today. Yeah. Try to put those feelings aside. And when you really believe in something like you, you don't forget about that feeling. It's still there, but the, the passion kind of outweighs and tips the scales a little bit more that I can kind of put that aside to get over with like, you know, an interview or a pitch or even a podcast like right now. (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking about pitching. Like what would that like if you're, you know, second guessing and being uh, nervous? I mean, it must've been tough, but it must've just thrown you into it and like no way out, right? Like I have to do this if my company is going to get funding. Yeah. Uh Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Scary. But then after you're like, Oh, that's so cool. I did that. And yeah, they heard me and, you know, that's another thing, being heard as a woman. Sometimes you have to repeat yourself twice or you say something and a, a male colleague says it and then someone's like, yeah, what he said. And I'm like, nah, I said it first. <laughs> but when I switched industries from, you know, I was an engineer and then I kind of switched to like an insurance company and there were more women there. And, you know, when there was like a, a baby shower, they had like a baby shower at work. And it's okay to say congratulations to somebody that's having a, a baby and be like, ah, like you know be super excited for them and I was like oh this is like okay to do that here like that's so cool yeah Um, wow okay yeah that's crazy okay one (laughs) last question before I let you go outside of revolutionizing lubrication systems for advanced rocket engines what else are you passionate about like passionate about being a mom (laughs) yeah okay I love being a mom I love like our kids are now, what, four and five, and they're super crazy. Like I said, every morning is a battle. But then when they go to school, I'm like, oh, I miss them. <laughs> then bedtime is a battle. Then they're asleep, and I'm like, oh, I miss them. And, you know, everything we do is for them. So they're the best. They, they teach Amazing. you so much. They teach you so much. Yeah. I knew you were going to say that, actually. I could tell from the conversation. So that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's all we got for today, Danielle. I'm so happy that you joined us. Thank you. A huge thanks to Daniela for being on the show. It was so great seeing her and exploring all the facets of these new frontiers in aerospace technology that are evolving thanks to additive manufacturing and innovative design. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review or share the show with a friend. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please do now so that you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Renette Youssef, and this has been Laser Focused, where together we innovate without compromise.